Welcome to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast, a show helping you find better ways to live, run, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. The website for the show is paleorunner.org. I wanted to let you know that I'm offering coaching through Google Helpouts, over Skype, and on the phone. I've been running for 17 years, and I've learned that by running less and focusing on key workouts, you can reduce injuries while getting faster. Over the past couple of years, I've set personal records in the 5K through marathon while running less than 25 miles per week. If you're interested in getting help running faster on less mileage, go to paleorunner.org coaching and schedule a help out with me. My guest today is Russ Crandall. He blogs at thedomesticman.com. His cookbook is called The Ancestral Table. Russ, it's great to have you back on the show. Hi, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, Russ, one of the first questions that I've been asking my guests is, what did you have to eat today? <laughs> uh, good question. So it's uh, it's before dinner over here for us. Uh, it's 5.30 central time for us. But um, So I haven't had dinner yet. But uh, So I had a really light breakfast, which I had uh, kind of late in the day. I usually only eat in an eight-hour window. So I just had a little bit of uh, smoked sausage and half an apple, and that was my breakfast. And that was around 10.30 in the morning. And then for lunch, which I had at 11.30, was – oh, man, uh, now I have to think about this. I had some steamed broccoli, uh, some leftover um, flank steak, which is London broil, cooked medium rare, and then some leftover uh, mushroom risotto. And that was basically it so far. Tonight, we're going to have uh, pho for dinner, which is a Vietnamese noodle soup uh, made with rice noodles. Oh, wow. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, thanks. So, you know, for people who didn't hear you on the first time, if we have some new listeners, can you go through a little bit about your journey about how you found paleo? Sure, uh, absolutely. So I'm um, I'm active duty Navy, so I've been in the Navy for about 15 years now. Uh, and about 10 years ago, I had a stroke uh, just out of the middle of nowhere. I was a really healthy guy up until that moment. I was a long-distance runner. Uh, and so I had a stroke, and I lost function on the left side of my body. Uh, the doctors couldn't figure out what it was, and I just kind of... Um, Spent a few months in therapy and kind of recovered and got everything back and then just kind of went on my own uh, business from there. Uh, and then from there, uh, about a year after that, I started having some pulmonary issues. I was getting out of breath really quickly and I couldn't really figure out what it was. So I went to the doctor, uh, spent a few months in the hospital uh, trying to figure out what was going on. And they basically figured out that I had an autoimmune disease, which had caused uh, the stroke uh, uh, in the year previous. So I did open heart surgery to try to fix that because at the time, uh, the doctors didn't know of any other way to fix it other than a bunch of meds or to actually fix my pulmonary arteries. So neither method worked. Uh, and so, you know, here I was at 30 years old, um, just kind of faced with this fact that I had this, um, you know, kind of uh, disruptive autoimmune disease that was causing a lot of issues for me. And then uh, later on that year in 2010, I found uh, about the paleo diet. It was right when Rob Wolf's book came out, The Paleo Solution. I read about it and switched my diet like the next day, and I felt better immediately. I'd say within three weeks, I had convinced my doctors that uh, I was doing a lot better, so I was able to wean off a lot of my medications. And so now in the four or five years since then, um, I've been off of, um, I was at one point on about 15 medications a day, and now I'm down to just one last holdout, uh, which I'm hoping to get off in the next uh, six months or so. That's wow. basically it. Wow, that's a really incredible story, Russ. So, um, you know, it, a little bit before we were talking, uh, I said I wanted to go into how you actually make this work on a daily basis. And yeah. um, you're a busy guy. It sounds like uh, you've got a job and you have kids. So, you know, how do you make a special diet like the paleo diet uh, practical for you on a daily basis? 
So my trick is basically just to cook once a day. So uh, I like to make kind of an elaborate dinner. Um, sometimes not really elaborate, you know, but I, I really will just kind of focus on making a, a really nice dinner. And there's three of us in the house, you know, my wife and I, and then our son. And so I make enough food for four people, basically. So the three of us sit down and we have dinner. Um, and then that next day I have that for lunch again. And then breakfast for me is usually some sort of like cured meat. So it'll be uh, smoked salmon or it'll be, you know, a can of um, oysters or something like that, you know, which I usually eat pretty, uh, pretty late in the morning. And then lunch will be those leftover dinner that night. That's basically how we run. Okay. And, and so every night you're cooking, you're cooking a new meal. Is that correct? Yep. For the most part, um, it really depends. You know, I've, uh, the nice thing is that I wrote a cookbook. So my wife and I have like a resource to use. And so she'll cook out of the book and sometimes she'll start the recipe and then I'll come home and finish it when I get home. Um, other nights, uh, we won't make a dinner, but, uh, since I do most of my recipe development on the weekends, I'll end up cooking several meals at once that we can't eat all, all at the same time. So we usually have just a little bit of leftovers, and that's usually what my wife will pick at uh, throughout the week, or else uh, I'll also take that in for lunch the next day as well. Okay, so let's take that pho noodle dish that you're making tonight. How long does it take to make something like that? Uh, so funny you should say that. I just posted the recipe today on my blog, but uh, so I did a fat version of it and it's 30 minutes so i basically uh, i take beef broth and then i simmer it with spices and that takes about a half hour to infuse those spices into the flavor of the broth and then the the noodles themselves only take about 30 seconds to parboil and then the rest is throwing on leftover meat or raw meat uh, directly into the soup so it's a it's a 30 minute meal which is uh, pretty easy so even though it's only 5 30 here i'll still be able to eat before seven o'clock tonight okay so that how long does it take to make the the beef broth that goes into the <laughs> source of that Right. So you're coming in on a good idea there and the fact that there is a little bit of pre-work involved, right? And so um, I use a pressure cooker to make my broth. I use an instant pot, which is like an electric pressure cooker. So I can make a really good batch of beef broth in about two hours. And I do that almost every weekend. Usually as I'm cooking other things, uh, I'll just brown the meat in the oven, you know, roast it for a little bit just to kind of and I caramelize everything in the pot with some water and then cook it for two hours. Uh, so that's, that's the way I have continuous broth, basically. Okay, so you're, you're cooking that broth. Now, I've made bone broth in the past, and I've talked to Paul about this, and I find it kind of a tedious process because you put all the bones in there, and then you've got all this scum and all this right. thing that you have to strain out. So can you kind of walk us through that process of how you sure. make bone broth? Totally. So cooking bone broth in a pressure cooker is different. Uh, a lot of that scum actually doesn't come up because it's not... Um, because all of the moisture is being captured within the, the pressure cooker itself, you don't get a lot of that scum and foam buildup. So roasting the bones ahead of time definitely reduces it as well. So typically, uh, all I will do is I'll throw all the bones into a, a pan, you know, like a baking sheet. And they, they can be frozen, they can be un, unfrozen or raw. It really doesn't matter. And then I uh, roast them at about 400 degrees, and I'll do that until they're brown. Uh, usually I'll flip them halfway through, and that can be any, anything from a half hour to an hour, depending on if they're frozen or not. And then from there, I just throw them right into the, the pressure cooker. I might rinse them off if they've got a lot of like uh, accumulated blood on them or anything like that. And I'll rinse them off a little bit, throw them in the pressure cooker. Uh, usually I'll throw in whatever I have on hand. So if I've got leftover vegetables, I'll throw it in. Uh, I'll also te uh, chop up the stalks of parsley. I really like parsley stalks in my um, broth. And then I like to throw in just whole peppercorns. So either black or white peppercorns. 
and that's really about it. So you just cover it, uh, set it for two hours. You can do you can do four hours, uh, but really between two and four is is, is pretty optimal um, to get a really good uh, gelatinous broth. And then from there, I just uh, I'll strain it through kind of a fine mesh and then uh, bottle it and can it and either put it in the fridge or the freezer depending on how much I've made. Okay, and do you just use those bones once or multiple times? Uh, so I'll use them twice usually, and that. Um, what I'll either do is I'll either make it again right then and there, um, but sometimes I don't have enough room in my fridge or freezer for all that uh, broth, so I will just throw the bones right back in the freezer and do it all over again uh, without the roasting because they've already been roasted once. Okay. So you've got the broth and then you've got this um, the meat or the steak that you're putting in um, with mm-hmm. the pho and the rice noodles. How about uh, like vegetables? What are you? Do you have some kind of side dish of vest- vegetables or what do you do for that? So... Uh, Tonight's kind of a different night just because we're throwing it all into one pot, you know. So we'll be throwing in, you know, bean sprouts and a lot of herbs. Um, and then we, we might have a side salad or we like to steam vegetables on the side as well. Uh, but typically during a, a regular night, um, I like to divide my dinner portions into four kind of squares. One square being my meat, one square being my carb, and then the other two squares being a hearty vegetable. And by that, I mean something like cauliflower or broccoli, something that's a little got a little more uh, crunch to it, maybe some carrots or something, and then a leafy vegetable is my last fourth. And that's going to be a side salad or maybe some sautéed kale or something like that. So I like the idea of having three-quarters plant material and then your uh, meat on the one quarter. And that usually, as far as uh, macronutrient ratios and things like that, that, that kind of aligns to a lot of the paleo paradigms too, which is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. And and how about your child? Um, are they Will they eat the same kind of foods that you do? Yeah, so Oliver is five years old. Um, and there's definitely some moments, you know, when he doesn't want to eat what we eat, especially if there's any sort of spice in it. But uh, for the most part, I'd say 75% of the time he eats what we eat. Uh, on those nights when he doesn't want to eat what we've made or uh, he's just not feeling up for it, we usually make his favorite meal, which is um, a pretty funny meal. So he just we take a scoop of white rice and we throw on a can of sardines and then we steam some peas. And then he covers it all with a seaweed seasoning called furikake, which is made with seaweed, uh, shaved tuna, and uh, sesame seeds. And that's his favorite meal of all time. So he probably eats that maybe twice a week, depending on what we're making. Okay, so it's a, it's a healthy meal that he likes. How did you come up with that? Uh, you know, I, I I personally was eating that meal every once in a while without the peas. I'm not a fan of peas, but I would just basically eat sardines and rice for lunch every once in a while on a weekend, and he picked up on it and just started eating it. And now that kid, I mean, we can't keep enough sardines in the house at this point, which is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I saw some pictures on Instagram that Jimmy Moore had posted while you were at the Perfect Health Retreat. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you go about making meals for big, large amounts of people like that? That was a very fun process because we had, um, I'd say, about 12 attendees and then also the staffs that we were cooking for. So we were, we were cooking about uh, food for about 20, 24 people every, every meal, and we were just doing lunch and dinner. Um, so that was a little bit more difficult. We we just ended up using a lot bigger pots for everything. We would um, we had three instant pots. Those pressure cookers I was talking about. We had three of those going. So we'd have one making broth all the time, one to make rice, and then one to make a soup or something similar to that. Uh, so it was just a lot of work, but you know, honestly, it was a lot of fun too. Uh, the biggest thing for upscaling meals really is just to kind of count out your portions. The way I 
I like to think of it, you know, is uh, a, a regular person will eat about a pound of meat a day. So you can just kind of break that in half if they're only eating two meals a day. So a half a pound per person uh, is usually a good way of going about it if you're going to the store and picking up meat and that kind of thing. So a quarter of the pound, third of the pound, two to a half a pound per meal is usually about adequate. Okay. Now, um, how about for athletes? Um, are there special considerations that we need to be taking into account as we're moving towards a paleo diet or maybe we're already on one and we're just trying to make it work? Yeah. So I'd say for athletes in particular, uh, macronutrient ratios tend to be the, um, the most complex thing to kind of figure out what works best for your body. So I would say carbs is probably that one that you kind of have to find that right balance for. For the most part, protein, we know how much protein we want to eat. You know, if you sit down to a steak that's three pounds, you're you're not going to be able to eat the whole thing. You're going to you're going to get to a point where you hit a wall and say, "Okay, I'm done." But you know, if you sit in front of a bag of potato chips, it's really hard to tell when you've had enough. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, just part of our ancestry. And we're used to uh, being opportunists when we find carbs because they're hard to find in nature. So we just eat as many as we can. So the way I've I've basically approached things, especially for athletes, is to eat as much protein as you want because uh, your body will tell you when you're done. You want to eat fats to taste. And by that I mean, so if you're making a baked potato or something like that, and you put one scoop of butter on there and it tastes really good, you put two scoops of butter on there and it tastes even better, but you put three on there and it tastes too buttery and too fatty, then two is probably the right amount. So uh, you want to add fats to taste and then carbs you typically want to do about a pound a day, same as your meat. So um, to get an idea of how much that is, that's potatoes a day. Uh, by small, I mean like fits in your hand comfortably. Um, but um, when it comes to You cut like, out a right, little bit. How many potatoes is that? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, two small potatoes. And by small, I mean about the size of a little bigger than a baseball, I would say. Uh, and that's usually about a pound if you put it on a scale. Um, but when you get into rice, when you make cooked rice, uh, a pound of rice is actually like a ton. Like it's way more than a, a normal person would eat in one day. So you want to scale that back just a little bit, just, um, just to kind of be in a more appropriate portion size. So for me, it's, it's all about, uh, eating one pound of protein, which your body will tell you how much is done and then, uh, eating fats to taste and then kind of filling in the rest of your calories with those carbs, depending on how much, uh, activity you're doing each day and how much uh, weight you want to lose or gain, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a uh, pretty easy way to go about it because a lot of it sounds like you're saying you can really listen to your body. I mean, you're listening to your protein, how much you feel like eating, and then, uh, you know, butter, or sour cream uh, on your potato to taste, and then. Right you know, uh, filling in the rest with some healthy carbs, I guess. Exactly. And, you know, carbs can be anything from starchy vegetables like beets and rutabagas and turnips and parsnips and things like that, as well as, you know, your typical ones like potato and rice. Um, I know rice isn't considered completely paleo, but I'm, I'm very pro-rice because it's very low in toxins. And I think it's, it's good as well, as long as you tolerate it pretty well. Okay. Now, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that you tried to eat it within an eight-hour window. Can you talk to our audience a little bit about that? Sure. So. Um, <clears throat> there's a there's a metabolic function called autophagy, and that's when uh, it's called it's also called cell cannibalism. That's when your cells eat each other. Uh, so, for example, when somebody doesn't eat for a long period of time, your body just kind of starts to regenerate itself by eating its own cells. The cool thing about it is that the cells that your body eats are the old and weak cells. Uh, so, any c- sort of typical issues that you would have, your body actually starts to eat itself. Um, 
and I hate to use the word detox, but it's almost close. It's the closest thing to a detox that, that I really think exists. Um, and so it's good to encourage that autophagy phase. And that starts after 12 hours of fasting. So what I like to do is a 16-hour fast that gives me four hours of autophagy every day. So what I'll, what I'll tend to do is only eat between uh, 10 or 10.30 a.m. to 6 to 6.30 p.m., depending on my timing each day. And that gives me you know, the 12 hours of a fast and then that extra four hours to kind of boost that autophagy. Uh, and I found for me uh, it really helps in that uh, in the morning. Mornings, I'm not, I'm not sluggish. I'm not tired. I'm not achy, uh, which I was finding when I was eating breakfast. Um, so, I, you know, it took a couple days to kind of get into the mode for that. But then after that, it, it just felt really great, and I've been doing it pretty much ever since. And it's been a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've I've started doing that over the past year, and I find it actually easier because I don't have to think about what I'm going to eat for breakfast. I I'll usually just pack a little bit bigger lunch, and then um, so I only have to worry about two meals a day, really. Right, right, and you know. Um, if you look at it philosophically too, you know, humans have not had three square meals every day throughout history. And so because of that, it, it's good to stress your body every once in a while. I think that, you know, good forms of stress are really helpful. And I think this is just one form of that as well, you know, just kind of uh, pushing your body just a little bit just to kind of make it stronger the next time around. Mm-hmm. And does the rest of your family do that as well? Uh, son, uh, he typically will eat breakfast, but sometimes he doesn't feel like it. He's kind of a sporadic eater. I like to think of him as a little caveman, you know, in that he just kind of eats when he's hungry. And, he, you know, he'll eat a whole feast at one point, and then he'll skip a meal the next time or something like that. So we really just kind of let his body figure out what he wants. Uh, my wife uh, usually follows the, about the same pattern as me, just so that we're on the same kind of uh, rhythm and schedule so that we, uh, we're more active and efficient throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And how about vegetables? Do you do the fermented or um, like kimchi and fermented vegetables like that at home? I do. So that's one of my favorite things to do. It's kind of like uh, my equivalent of science experiments. So <laughs> on the on the weekends, yeah, I usually, uh, depending on if we get to run down to the farmer's market, I'll grab some fresh produce uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll just put it in and pickle it basically. Uh, it's really kind of key to use organic or farmer, um, like directly from the farm produce because uh, a lot of the bacteria is still on that food. And so you're able to use it to kind of... Um, encourage the fermentation process. Uh, otherwise, if you use just something conventionally from, like say you grab some cucumbers from the uh, regular supermarket and you just throw them in a the salt brine, a lot of times they'll spoil before they start to ferment. And that's because they, they're missing that, um, uh, it's like the lactobacillus uh, bacteria, which is on the skin of the cucumbers. So uh, what we typically do is, yeah, we'll, we'll go down to the farmer's market and we'll throw everything together. And uh, depending on what we want to make, you know, if we want to make a Japanese-style one, we'll add a little bit of rice wine to the, to the fermentation process just to kind of give it a little bit of a Japanese flavor. Or, you know, we'll just do a, a traditional, like a German sauerkraut or pickles or something like that. And how is that learning? How difficult is that learning curve? I've never done this. They're, they sell a big jar of uh, kimchi at Costco, and I don't know how healthy it is, but it's it's pretty tasty. But I, you know, is it worth me trying to figure this out and do it at uh, myself at home? So it's actually it's it's pretty easy and a lot of fun. The number one thing you want to make sure that you're using uh, good filtered water. Uh, the number one issue that I've always had with any sort of fermentation is the type of water that I add to it. Uh, we just recently moved down to Florida from Maryland, and the wa- the tap water here I cannot use for fermentation. It makes everything spoil, and I, I'm not sure really what's in the the water itself. So I've been having to buy like jugs of filtered water. 
uh, or distilled water in order to add to my fermentation, and that's been helping a lot. Uh, the other thing, you know, if you want to make something like kimchi, is getting the right ingredients. So kimchi in particular, uh, you, you wouldn't think it, but a lot of times has some sort of of seafood in it so they either add raw oysters or they'll add fish sauce to it so you want to have one of those ingredients on hand and then also um the actual chili pepper they use in kimchi is is uh is is a korean red chili powder that you'll have to maybe buy online or maybe get in an asian market so once you buy you know those kind of uh bulk items you can you can really just add the rest of the fresh ingredients right then and there so it's it's pretty easy you know you ginger cabbage onion green onion and then sometimes daikon radish which is like a white uh korean radish Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I want to go back to the, one of those quick and easy meals that you uh, feed your son that you talked about earlier, because sometimes I get busy during the day, I'm editing a podcast, and then I, I'm, I'm taking care of my daughter and things like that. So <laughs> sure. why, why is uh, sardines with white rice, how is, what is healthy about that? So, um, the, you know, for one thing, the, the, the Carbs in the in the rice are, are, are good for children in particular because uh, carbs encourage the growth, and so a lot of children, you know, especially toddlers and, and growing up, um, they need carbs in order to encourage brain growth and body growth as well. So we like to give him a good amount of carbs. Almost forty percent of his daily calories are from carbs, uh, and that's the, you know a lot of science has shown that that's really good for children. So for for us, that adding in that white rice is good. Um, so sardines in particular, you know, are very high in calcium. Uh, because the the bones that are in the the fish itself, uh, as well as you know omega three fatty acids and things like that, but then the other part of it too is that uh, when you add something fatty to carbs, so in particular these sardines here, and we also pour in a little bit of the olive oil that's that's in the package with it, uh, adding fats to carbs lowers the glycemic index by like a third. So he's not going to get any sort. of the blood sugar spikes or go crazy and then crash afterwards when you combine uh, fats in with the carbs. So we like to add that in there as well. And then another piece of that puzzle is the peas, which are um, high in fiber. So fiber also can lower the glycemic index uh, when you're eating um, white rice, basically. And that's why brown rice has a lower glycemic index than white rice because all the fiber that's in the brown rice. So we're kind of modeling it after that brown rice construct uh, by adding in those peas. Mm-hmm. So you're you're excluding brown rice because it still contains some toxins in the outer husk. Right. Um, and then you're adding a lot of these healthy things to it, like the healthy fats and then um, the peas or some vegetables. Right, correct. Okay. Yep, that's exactly how we do it. So we just kind of, uh, we're building like this perfect little bowl of uh, nutrients for him, um, just in that the fish and then the peas and then that seaweed as well, which is adding iodine to it. So, Okay, okay. So what kind of sardines do you use for that? Are, are they like, um, I mean, are they organic or how, how do you, what brand do you choose? So... Uh, we, we kind of buy a variety of them just because we don't want him to get sick of one brand in particular and then turn them off from the dish. So there's definitely uh, certain brands out there that are more sustainably caught than others. The thing about sardines in particular is that uh, it, the amount of fishing that we do for sardines has not actually decreased their population, which has been pretty cool. Um, back in the 80s, there actually was a decrease in sardine population, um, but then they came back and then studies showed that it wasn't overfishing or anything it was just uh, a natural pattern in the sardine population so uh so the biggest thing you want to look for really is just wild caught sardines uh usually from the mediterranean or outside in the atlantic that's really about it um so we look for wild caught and you know if it says anything about sustainably harvest i don't really know a lot about commercial fishing but you know if they've got a seal on it and i know that's a reputable seal then i usually trust their judgment 
And then, um, you know, I want it packed in olive oil. And then if, if it has any information about the type of olive oil, and you know, it's a, a good single source olive oil or something like that, it's pretty good. So my favorite as far as sustainability is Wild, Wild Planet. I think that's a really good brand of seafood. Um, but otherwise, we have some others, like there's one brand called Season Brand that's pretty good. Uh, it really just depends, you know, on, on price and sales and that kind of stuff too, so. Okay. So, Russ, you shared with us a lot of good tips about how to make a paleo-style diet work and how to make it tasty and even uh, work for your kids. Uh, what are you working on next? Uh, so, I've got a couple of things going on. So, um, I really lucked out a couple months ago and I actually signed on with Food & Wine magazine. So, I'm now a regular contributor for them. So, I just uh, released 30 recipes to them that they're going to be publishing on their website and I think in their magazine too. So, that's really awesome for the community because they're all labeled as paleo and stuff like that. So, wow. hopefully that'll bring more awareness of paleo into like the more gourmet kind of side of things, which I was really happy about. So, that should be coming in the next couple months on their website, which uh, hopefully will really give a boost to the community. Uh, the second thing I was, I'm working on a ebook, which is actually, uh, so you're going to be the first person I've told about it. Okay. <laughs> um, great. so, uh, I'm working on a, uh, paleo takeout, uh, ebook. So it's going to basically be Chinese, Japanese, Korean, uh, recipes kind of with the idea of being fast and easy. So 20 to 30 minute meals and all kind of modeled after that, uh, gunky, like Chinese American, uh, takeout that we're all used to. And we still kind of crave a little bit, but we can't eat anymore because it's full of garbage. So, uh, so you think kind of Panda Express, but made paleo style and, you know, thoughtful, thoughtfully made so that I'm, I'm looking at, you know, macronutrients and making sure it's not overloaded with almond flour or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It should be out in the next month or two. It really depends on how quickly I can get the rest of the pictures taken. So, Oh, wow. That's great. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah, I've tried uh, your sweet and sour chicken. I believe it was on your, mm-hmm. your website and that turned out really good. So thanks. Yeah, that's actually that. the, uh, so that's the, the, um, the dish that kind of prompted that. Cause I think I did that in March or April and I got a ton of feedback and I was like, you know what? I could do this for every dish, you know? And so instead of turning my website into an entire Chinese takeout, uh, website, I decided I was going to put it together as an ebook and then, uh, you know, send it out to the masses. I think it's going to be really exciting. Great. And so how can we know exactly when that comes out? Is there like an email list we can get on or something? Yeah. So um, on my website, uh, on the right side of, of on my right banner, um, basically at the, the domesticman.com, uh, there's a little button uh, to, to add your email address in the newsletter. And it's not your typical newsletter where you get a bunch of emails from me saying, hey, do this thing or do that thing. The, it's really simple. It's basically just a an automatic spit out every time I, I post a new post. So you'll just get a, an email once a week when I post my new recipe. And then when I, when I debut the ebook, it'll, it'll pop up there as well. Great. All right, Russ. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to another Paleo Runner podcast. If you like podcasts, you're also going to like audible.com. Audible has over a hundred thousand titles to choose from for your iPhone, Kindle, Android, or MP3 player. You can even burn a CD of the audiobook if you like. It's a great way to learn while you're driving in the car or cleaning up around the house. One of the great things about Audible is that if you decide that you don't like the book you've downloaded, you can actually exchange it for another one. They want you to be happy with your order. If you'd like to get a free audiobook download, sign up at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. You'll get a free audiobook download that you can keep regardless of whether you continue with the service or not. So go to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Thanks for listening.